Hi, and welcome to the Resilience Podcast. It's Brad Hook here, and I'm joined by my colleague, Alexia Mikils, who is the managing partner of Resilience Institute Europe and the author of a new book called Resilience Quotient. It's a great book. I've had an opportunity to read through it, and I love where the content is going, and especially the focus on purpose for leaders. So welcome, Alexia. How are you doing today? Hi, Brad. I'm well. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. So before we dive in, uh, maybe you could give us a little bit of an overview. What was the inspiration for, for writing this new book? Of course, your previous book, The Resilience Drive, really successful, and I think it's impacted lots of people's lives. Uh, what was the inspiration for, for the new book? Well, when I wrote the first book, The Resilience Drive, it was in 2017, and my intention was really to share simple practices that can help everyone to build his or her personal resilience. And I wanted to give a scientific reason why it makes sense. Well, a few years later, I felt there is a need and there is a reason why we should now focus more on leadership and give managers some practical strategies to help them lead their teams differently in a world that is changing so fast. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. And, and that's, I guess, is why the book starts off with the chapter on navigating uncertainty. So unlike a lot of books which were written pre-pandemic, this one was actually written during the, the current challenges. Can you tell us a little bit about the navigating uncertainty aspect of, of the book? That was, of course, very natural during the pandemic because everything was very uncertain. But what we can also see is that this uncertainty will remain after the pandemic. So whether it is due to the interactions between all of our stakeholders, whether it is due to the fact that we live in a global world, uh, these uncertain characteristics of the world will remain. And that requires competences that may not have been that needed 50 years ago. So navigating uncertainty defines when you're a world where we need to be comfortable with discomfort. We need to be comfortable with not having all the answers and at the same time um, radiate confidence in a team so that people feel grounded and well-equipped to actually work and, and reach the objectives in that uncertain world. Mm, absolutely. And having worked with thousands of leaders, uh, what are some common challenges you find, especially with, with leaders in the current context? Uh, what are some issues that they're experiencing? Well, I believe everybody will easily relate to the challenges of managing a team, a company uh, in that uncertain world. Uh, but definitely there are also new factors um, that play an important role. On the one hand, the huge environmental challenges. Um, and, and that is for sure something new in the equation of being a leader. Again, 50 years ago, maybe even 30 years ago, that was probably something that some well-informed people will have in mind. But today, nobody can ignore the fact that you cannot deal as if everything was just normal. We are definitely um, required to integrate the environment as an important um, stakeholder uh, to make decisions. So that's really something that I find more and more leaders, and that's a good news, more and more leaders are ready to do, integrate that in their um, 
in their equation to make decisions. Another important one is indeed that, that quest for purpose. Uh, mm -hmm. That was probably something not that uh, present 20, 30 years ago. And as now we are very much informed about what happens everywhere in the world, the transparency has um, become very much widespread. People are much better informed. And we can also see the limits of um, wild capitalism. So there is probably a reason why people are questioning themselves about why they do what they do. Mm -hmm. And for leaders, this is also something they cannot ignore. So that forces them to question themselves, to involve people they work with in searching that answer. Why do we do what we do? And, and find a purpose that can be a lever for motivation, engagement, and giving people really uh, the feeling that they are contributing to something greater than just reaching financial results. Yeah, and that's so different. When you think about leadership 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you know, there, was, there were a set of skills that enabled you to be a great leader, but people weren't, leaders didn't have to consider the purpose of their team or the purpose of their organization, not as much as they do now. This has become critical. And, and especially with younger generations like Generation Z and obviously millennials in the workplace, they're looking for different things. It's not necessarily all about, you know, how much remuneration I, I get or um, simply generating value for shareholders. That, that's kind of becoming a little bit more secondary. Absolutely. And, and leadership needs to evolve with the context in which we are operating. So the context after World War II was very different from the context in the 80s. Mm -hmm. The context in the year 2000 was very different from the context today. And that is also an invitation to, to dare re-questioning what is important, what are the competences that we need to cultivate and value in an organization to make sure it fits with that context. Makes sense, makes sense. So on a semi-practical level, uh, any tips for leaders who want to reconnect with themselves? Because I think that's an important starting point, and that's chapter two in the book, is you know, the relationship to yourself. And, and that requires a little bit of, I guess, creating some space and discovering what's important to you. True. It's really about creating time to reflect. I believe many of us, including myself, we tend to live fast-paced life, um, rushing from one thing to the other, from one meeting to the other. Um, even in our social time, we tend to do lots of things. Mm. Uh, I really believe in the power of reflection, introspection, and I can only encourage everyone and certainly every leader to create time to reflect, to read, to get inspired, to question himself and herself. And that's for me really the starting point. If you're not able to create time to reflect, um, you cannot pretend being really aware and available for the others. Uh, this is for me, a must for any leader who has the ambition to play an important role and have a positive impact, create time for yourself, question yourself, find ways to know yourself better, recognizing that this is a lifetime journey. And then indeed mobilize all of your resources. Many of us, we tend to be very much in the head. Um, mm -hmm. 
the cognitive dimension has been the, the focus of education, of um, the curriculums in the various schools and universities over the last years, probably 100 years. Now we know that all of our other dimensions, physical, emotional, even spiritual, do play a role and interact with each other. So that also requires some, uh, some reflection, some experiments to understand better how we do function ourselves and, um, and how we can have a positive impact uh, beyond us. And any practical tips for a leader who says, I'm so busy, I just don't have time. I mean, this is kind of, if you don't make time, you're going to get left behind. You, you actually have to prioritize. Is it a little bit of space each day for meditation or is it simply building that self-awareness moment to moment or is it different for everyone? What would you recommend? I believe it is different for everyone. And at the Resilience Institute, as you know, we do not pretend that there is one recipe that would work for, for each. So it's really everyone to find what works for you. I believe a lot in the power of habits. Um, and at the Resilience Institute, we talk about integral daily practice, yeah. inviting people to be aware about the habits they have on a daily basis and be intentional in implementing these habits or honoring these habits that work well for you, being very clear about your non-negotiables. For some, it will be doing 10 minutes of stretching every morning. For others, it will be making sure that I take five minutes to center myself at the end of the day. For others, it will be um, having a breathing exercise before every important meeting. It's very different for each, but I can encourage each to find what is the, the routine, the rituals mm -hmm. uh, that work best for you. So for me, this is really something important. I believe a lot in the power of habits. Yeah, definitely. And remembering that people look to you as a leader. So I, I've spoken with leaders who say, I just want to increase well-being at my company but their life is, uh, is a mess. I mean, they're, they're not making any space for themselves. So really be the change that you want to see, I suppose, is important for a leader. Mm. Absolutely. And be vocal about what, what works for you. Uh, I've also noticed in the organizations I work with that when leaders tell their colleagues um, what they do, what works well for them, what they're doing, what, for example, uh, during lunchtime, they would go for 30 minutes walking outside or what they do to make sure they can fit exercise in their, in their week. When they talk about it, people feel more motivated to also experiment and, um, and stick to rituals that could work for them. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So the third chapter is about relating to others. And there are some gems inside of there. And I think it's so important in this time where there is so much polarization and it's not just out there in the world or on Twitter or on LinkedIn, it's happening within people's organizations. And there are lots of different generations working together. Some are really comfortable in this you know, digital world that we're entering, whereas some are less comfortable. So what are some tips for, for leaders to increase their resilience quotient in terms of collaboration? Well, again, I believe that the relation you have with yourself will define very much the relation you have with others. So if you have a healthy relation with yourself, it will be easier to have mm. a natural constructive relation with others. Um, and as I've said, leadership needs to be considered in a certain context. 
in today's context, there is um, no doubt that humility is part of being a good leader. And that brings me to the leadership style that you want to, to demonstrate in a team. There have been lots of studies looking at the different leadership styles and some really interesting courses invite you to develop some leadership styles. And of course, there is no one single style that could work every time. But when you are really aware about the impact you have on others, when you are being humble and at the same time, grounded enough to inspire trust in a team, it really helps. So I would say humility, vulnerability, and that's very close, having the courage of being vulnerable, being totally human. Uh, and that means indeed recognizing that you're not just a brain, but actually there are some days when you feel more energized, some days when you have probably a, a lower level of energy, recognizing that the emotions you experience will influence not just the mood you feel, but the atmosphere in a team and mm -hmm. even the ability of people to contribute in a team. In the book, I talk quite a bit about the um, emotional contagion yeah. uh, in a team. And as leaders, I really um, invite everyone to recognize that your ability to instill positive emotions in a team is really critical in challenging times because we know that if we do nothing, there's a high probability negative emotions will dominate. And that influence not just the atmosphere in the team, but also the ability of people to be collaborative, to be creative. Mm. And there is also probably an important uh, point about communication. During the pandemic, many organizations have started communicating a lot, making sure they would, um, and that was a good idea, of course, but they would maintain connections with their people while working from home. And... I um, believe as well that communication needs to be intentional and needs to um, demonstrate what we call realistic optimism. Yes. Being very lucid about the situation and that's a connection with being humble, recognizing we may not have all the answers. There are lots of things that we are not sure about, lots of questions remain, and at the same time, optimistic in your ability as a team to face the challenges ahead. And the good news is that these various um, competences can really be learned and cultivated. Mm, yeah, it's not like we're just born, the old saying, they're a natural leader. It's not really true. That person's probably just practiced more than others, uh, listening, understanding, and hearing what's important to others, the affiliative leadership approach, right? Absolutely, I believe so. Some leaders are natural leaders. They have a charism that is obvious. Some others need to work on that. Yeah. Um, but talking about social awareness, what we call empathy, is definitely a competence that you can learn and you can develop. Some have it more naturally. Some others need to work on it. Um, but there are lots of practical ways to understand people's emotions better and then to decide, how can I make sure that that awareness leads me to have the right attitude? Yeah. So when you're able as a leader to read the emotions around the table, and that is, for example, through reading facial expressions, being able to read nonverbal communication, body language, that requires having your antenna out, being very present. So it is certainly built on the ability to be very much focused and present. When you have that ability, it is as well a fantastic tool to support your people better. Yes. Because you can then 
adjust your attitude uh, to what would uh, help that person the best. Mm, yeah, it's funny. I was talking to a leader who after one of our workshops came and, and he said, we had been discussing emotional contagion. And he said, you know, I was hunting for the toxic person on my team. And then I realized it was me. And it was really interesting that they had that moment of awakening. And they said, actually, I was the one creating the culture. Wow, that's self-awareness. <laughs> it was a big, it was a big change, you know, for for them personally, and uh, they've subsequently been working with us through multiple organizations as the person moves around, as you know, lots of people do. Yeah, interesting. And now the 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 next component, which I think is fascinating, and we touched on it at the beginning, but it's this relationship with the environment. And I'm really excited about including some environmental factors in our diagnostic model. I think it's incredible for the future. But tell me a little bit about uh, a leader's relationship to the environment. Again, I believe a good leader needs to be... Um, well knowledgeable about what happens in the world and what happens in the world includes uh, today this huge environmental challenge and climate change. Um, so for me, it was really important to make sure that we would include that part in the book. And I also believe that when we are better informed, we are more motivated to consider some adjustments or some changes into our behaviors. Mm. So my intention was also to share in a very practical way and, and simple way, I would say, some facts and figures about what we know today about uh, these environmental challenges, what are the facts, and then also um, making make sure that people would feel encouraged that some behaviors can make a difference. And what we have said previously, it starts with yourself so that you can really have a better impact on others. It applies as well for the environment. It starts really with yourself. First, be aware of your own ecology, be aware of your own resources, respect them. Yeah. Then understand the resources around you, the environment around you, and define what are some behaviors that can make a difference in your immediate zone of inference. And I believe that as a leader today, having that conversation as a team is part of the job. Mm -hmm. yeah. Engaging the conversation, um, helping people to be better informed. And I can give the example of, um, of AXA, uh, the bank and insurance company uh, that has launched the AXA Climate School. And it is a fantastic uh, series of videos included in, in an app that everyone employee of AXA is encouraged to watch. But that is really a fantastic way to make sure that people are more knowledgeable Mm -hmm. about where uh, does this environmental uh, crisis come from. So yes, I believe engaging the conversation and then in a co-creative way, involve your team members into yeah. finding how can we at all scale inference positively and, and take our part. Makes a lot of sense. And instead of it just being left to some department who deal with uh, sustainability statement we actually all become active in identifying you know our impact the impact of our supply chain our products our services and ultimately and i see a lot of companies adopting that 
that kind of mindset. So it's really, it's becoming more and more important, not just to talk about it, but to actually live it and embody it. To talk about it, to live it, to act. And I would even say, say to become activists. Yeah. I, I, I believe that leaders need to become activists because this is what we need to have a, a real change at a larger scale. Yeah. We can do whatever we want in our home, in our team, in our organization. But considering the urgency uh, of the matter, uh, we need change at a larger scale. And that's why having leaders transforming themselves in becoming activists is, in my view, something also really important. And we will see more and more leaders becoming more vocal about what they do uh, regarding the, uh, the climate change crisis within the organization and encouraging their peers to have a similar approach and, uh, and, and really the mindset of uh, accelerating the transformations that need to happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think when you've got that clarity of purpose, it becomes much easier to adopt an activist mindset, which brings me to the question of meaning and purpose. And I love that you've got the Ikigai map inside of the book, because I think that's just such a lovely way of describing how to discover where your passion and purpose and what the world needs overlaps. So tell us a little bit about purpose uh, as a leader, and maybe you've got some examples that you could share of sure. purposeful action. Well, you mentioned Ikigai, so it might be mm -hmm. worth reminding those who may not be aware of it. Ikigai is a Japanese concept. Iki means uh, life, and Gai means worth it. So in other words, it is your purpose. Uh, your reason for being. And it is indeed questioning yourself and find out what is the meeting point between what you're passionate about, what you're good at, what the world needs, and what you can be paid for. It, for. Uh, so I, I really believe it is a, a powerful concept indeed. Now, when you look at uh, leadership and organizations, uh, we have seen indeed an increasing trend towards identifying a meaningful purpose. And we have seen these organizations involving people to have the right words and making sure that the purpose would not simply be words on a wall, but actually something that people can look at, feel motivated to reach and, and, and actually target. And what I've observed is that when organizations have a strong, well-articulated purpose, it really helps them to navigate uncertainty because it gives them really a sort of uh, reason for being and strength to remain up and standing even when the world is extremely turbulent. And during the pandemic, for example, um, I've worked with an organization. There was a lot of reorganization inside. They were extremely challenged. But that organization some years ago had established a really strong purpose and the CEO told me that having that strong purpose, making sure that whatever happens, they would remain loyal to the purpose, helped the whole organization to keep moving forward with confidence. So for me, purpose for an organization is what can help, what can help a whole organization to stay grounded, even if you are confronted to uh, heavy challenges. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And I suppose that's that B Corp, 
mindset is beyond just creating profit it's about your 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 impact purposeful action right it's it's critical and those there are some amazing stories of companies dealing with real adversity but if they've got that north star that strong sense of purpose ingrained in the culture they're able to uh, i believe deal with adversity much better than companies absolutely and and the b corp concept of not just a concept the b corp practice i would even say to honor the three p's people planet and profit give people reason for waking up every morning because they know that they are not just feeding the the wallet of the shareholders but they know that they do something good for the planet yeah. they are also um behaving in a way that is respectful for their peers for their colleagues so the b corp movement is also gaining interest and that's really a good news mm-hmm. it shows that organizations uh, the economic sector can become more meaningful actor i would say in today's world and again i think it's really about the context we are in in today's context we need organizations who take their role more actively not just about creating wealth but also about having a positive impact on the society including all stakeholders and taking their part in the challenge of facing the environmental crisis yeah absolutely and what could be more important today if you're a leader and you want to progress in your career or you want to have more of an impact you know i think it's it's time to really explore what your purpose is uh, and i've worked with some organizations where they have the organizational purpose but then individual teams leaders identify co-create with the team you know a purpose linked to the organizational purpose for their team and that really gives them a sense of autonomy but it also connects them to where they're going it's not just as you said something abstract on the wall so i think it's important for leaders to think about that you know how how can they formulate a sense of purpose that's relevant to their team and the context for their little group and as we see these more agile ways of working giving people that sense of purpose so that they don't feel disconnected especially whilst all working remotely and that's critical and it can really inspire people as well you know part part of leadership is inspiration to a degree i suppose yeah absolutely inspiration and at the same time using it as a real tool i have seen organizations i'm talking for example about the chemical group solve mm-hmm. uh it is a belgian organization and i can see that they refer to that purpose very often every time they make an important decision and they tell people how does that decision connect with the purpose how does it uh, make that purpose alive and when your purpose is not just a source of inspiration but a real tool to help you make consistent choices and make decisions that are coherent mm. then it becomes really powerful mm it moves from just being a statement to actually being your mobilizing change idea you know that massively transformative purpose whatever you want to call it that's what people need and it becomes the litmus test like is this important or isn't it does it align or doesn't it exactly so leaders need to get quite good at verbalizing it and sharing it and and actually it comes down to that communication again you know how are we living and breathing it let's reflect as a team creating space not just for ourselves as leaders but for our team to reflect on how they are living and breathing the purpose 
Exactly. Very exciting work. So uh, as a concept, resilience quotient, obviously we all know about IQ and EQ and RQ is? maybe you could Resilience quotient, indeed. Well, we know IQ um, was invented at the start of the 20th century. At that time, in that context, it was probably relevant. Mm. Um, it's definitely not sufficient today to measure how someone can contribute in the success of an organization or in having a contribution in the society. EQ, which is more recent, uh, started in the 70s, developed in the 80s, is certainly still very relevant, but probably not sufficient. And I would like to suggest that resilience quotient, which includes all of our resources, all of these competences that invite you to know yourself well, to have positive interactions with others, to also consider this uh, important question of meaning and develop a healthy relationship with the environment is, I believe, what will help define the best leaders for tomorrow. I love it. And I think that's exactly right. It's an integrated way of measuring leadership as a complete human rather than just one aspect of how you interact with the world. I love your uh, descriptions of being part of a system, you know, and re remembering that there's an impact. There are inputs and outputs, and we all are parts of systems in how we live and how we work. And, yeah, building your RQ is an important part of recognizing that you are within a system and you do have an impact. I think it's going to be exciting. And in, in the book, I also wanted to make sure that we go beyond ideas and concepts. So it's good if you believe it makes sense, but mm -hmm. it's much better if you decide how you can translate that into some practices and behaviors. And this is the reason why in the last chapter, you have a practical menu yes. that you can consult and simply pick pick the one practice that feels right for you and progressively develop this um, residence quotient. Absolutely. I love the practical tips and the breakout boxes. And, you know, for every piece of content, there is something practical that you can do. And I think that's what busy people need, right, is the, is the practical tips. So when can we expect the next book, Alexia? Oh, Brad, <laughs> not immediately, not immediately. I'm very happy to first um, make this book well alive and, uh, and share it with enthusiasm with people I work with. And, and we'll see how the context, the context evolves. For me, it's really important to, um, to express myself when I feel I have something worthwhile listening to and, uh, and we'll see what comes next. But I'm, I'm happy that this book is, uh, is well alive right now. Yeah, amazing. Congratulations. It's it's an amazing read. And I'm sure it'll continue to provide so much value to the people who who read it and, and all of those out there in the ecosystem who whose lives you've impacted. So thank you so much for that. Any final words before we we sign off? Well, um, as this is the start of the new year, I can only wish everyone um that 2022 is um, full of health, joy, and resilience. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Brad. My pleasure. Thanks, Alexia. And thank you all. We'll see you on another episode soon.